Welcome to the Work Talk Live podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Joseph Lee. This episode, we have a very special episode. It's all about the importance of sleep and why you need good sleep. And I know, and she knows. And we know that you know. That you know that you need to know this. Yeah. And so we have our lovely special guest, Dr. Tracy. Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for coming in. For having me. Dr. Tracy, for our listeners that don't know who you are, can you just give us a brief background of yourself, please? Sure. I'll try to be brief because I've had a bit of a wayward um, way of coming into my PhD, but I started at Rutgers. I have a, uh, a Bachelor's of Science in Exercise Physiology from Rutgers. I then went to physical therapy school at CUNY in Staten Island. I worked as a physical therapist in an outpatient clinic for about eight years now. And two years ago, I decided I wanted to become a full-time professor, hopefully at a physical therapy school. Um, so I went back to Rutgers for my PhD. Um, on the side, I really enjoy weightlifting. I used to compete in Olympic lifting years ago, no longer anymore. Uh, <laughs> kids and balancing life, but um, I have a strength and conditioning certification from the NSCA, and I really try to integrate, you know, strength into everything that I do. So my research interest in particular is basically the female athlete and the different transitions a female goes through. So puberty, um, menstrual cycles, pregnancy, postpartum, and menopause, and basically how resistance exercises affects those and also how sleep plays a big role too thank you so much i mean can you just i'm sorry but can just to kind of extend this though because because you're already a doctor and you're going for your phd and you you want to teach and like and you want to also do research so where did where did that spark kind of come from especially for our young listeners that want to strive to do more in their careers too so like was it in your clinic that you were trying to like like while you were like helping people out you're like wow like there needs to be more information or more studies done like where did that come from so my research interest really started when i was pregnant for the first time um i'm now pregnant for the third time so congratulations (laughs) i wanted to continue exercising and for me exercising is lifting so i'd be in the gym squatting and so many people, I don't know if you can hear my son yelling in the background, I'm sorry. Um, So many people were like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. It's not safe for you. And I thought that that was ridiculous. And I started looking into pregnancy research and I found there's really not that much information. So that's what kind of sparked that research interest. Um, But on a side I started teaching a little bit actually at Rutgers years and years ago before there was a grad program. So I was a uh, part-time lecturer with exercise physiology and exercise testing and prescription. And that kind of started my interest also in teaching. Now I teach at, I have two adjunct faculty positions in physical therapy programs teaching exercise physiology. So like the more I got involved with it, I was like, I love teaching. I still love being a physical therapist, but I want to try to integrate everything. <laughs> so hopefully I can do that one day. Does your competitive mentality to to strive more come from like weightlifting? Like where did it all start? Cause, and how did you manage all this? Like as a mother and just you just want to do more with your career? Because a lot of people, they, they, they go through stress and they go through like 
like you know tough things yet they see women like you like being trailblazers in your career field and you know it's really inspirational but can you just give us a little insight into that yeah hold on just a second <laughs> sorry Jack, give me one minute, baby. Um, Don't mind me. He was asking me something. (laughs) Um, So I think something that a lot of people undervalue is just how much we can do. And I don't want to say, like, I'm awesome with time management, but I have a really great support system. So my husband is super supportive, um, and my family's been really supportive. So when I said I'm going to quit my job, my like nice full-time job to go back to school, they had their hesitations, but they, they know that that was kind of my dream and they were going to help support me with it. Um, but yeah, I think being a competitive athlete, I mean, I did, I played soccer all my life. I played soccer a little bit in college. I wish I never quit that, but anyway, um, I think that's always yes, driven me to like want to do more, want to be better, and you know improve our field, improve our knowledge. So, okay, I'm just gonna go right into it. So basically, I would like to start off with: Can you just give us a brief background about how important sleep is to our health? Sure. Um, so essentially, sleep is extremely important to our health and our overall vital functioning. So there's a number of different physiological processes. They're actually regulated by sleep. So for example, our endocrine system, which is responsible for hormonal release, relies heavily on diurnal rhythm. So that means that it gets released at certain phases during the night and during the day. Um, One thing like growth hormone, which a lot of lifters are very familiar with, um, that's released at night and its job is really responsible for facilitating growth and repair of our muscular system. Another hormone like cortisol is released more in like the early morning hours. So as we're kind of getting ready to wake up, cortisol gets released to help prepare our body for that kind of arousal. So with proper sleep, these hormones help to facilitate different things like insulin um, regulation, blood sugar regulation, Um, They also play a role in, sorry, sleep also plays a role in regulating hormones like leptin and ghrelin, and they're really responsible for appetite and eating. So leptin kind of tells our body when we're full and to stop eating, and ghrelin tells us when we're hungry and we want to start eating. So when we're not getting sufficient sleep, these hormones can really get out of whack, so it can affect our overall eating meaning more calories that we're intaking, increased fat accumulation, uh, decreased muscle repair, and increased uh, inflammation in the body. So from a college-age population, because I know a lot of your listeners are college students, college-age, it's really recommended for people to get about seven to nine hours of sleep a night. Um, There's some individual differences. So like some people can get away with closer to seven, other people need closer to nine. Um, but really anything less than seven is considered insufficient and can start affecting all these processes. So I know you just brought up the idea of like lifters and how sleep is really important for, you know, like repairing your body and like kind of recharging yourself. Um, so on that topic, could you by any chance just talk about how exercise itself like affects sleep? Yeah. So it's interesting because exercise kind of plays a two way role with sleep. Um, essentially with 
poor sleep, if we're not getting enough sleep or our body's really affected by sleep, it can actually cause negative effects with our um, performance. So like muscle strength can be decreased the day after a, la- like a night of bad sleep. Aerobic performance can get affected by that. Um, our actual like reaction timing and accuracy can get impacted. So if you're someone that is like a tennis player or a baseball player and you need to like hit and you know react to obviously a pitch, that can get impaired. So overall performance can be negatively affected by that. But sleep also can play a role in, sorry, exercise can play a role in facilitating sleep. So if we exercise, especially chronic exercisers, like people that actually maintain a program for a long time, this can really influence the quality of our sleep. So exercise improves overall sleep quality and something else we call sleep latency. So it's how long it takes us to actually get to sleep. Um, So it's very important for that. The problem is too, is that exercise timing can affect sleep. So if you exercise in the morning or in the afternoon, that's great. But the later in the day you exercise, it can actually like stimulate your sympathetic nervous system, that kind of fight or flight response, and that can impair your ability to fall asleep. So overall, it can have a really positive role, but again, you kind of have to worry about your timing of exercise for that sleep. Dr. Tracy, I know uh, before this question, you talked about how it affects our cortisol levels, which is a hormone. And uh, I'm not too familiar, but I know cortisol also plays an effect on testosterone levels. So uh, is the lack of sleep also going to affect uh, a human's testosterone levels? Because it is important when lifting and, and, and just in general growth and everyday life. So it's interesting you bring that up because an area that I'm specifically interested in my research is the changes with females. So a lot of different things like estrogen levels, progesterone, um, oral contraceptives, the menstrual cycle and sleep. Um, there is findings about testosterone. So similar to uh, disrupted sleep for women, we can see changes in testosterone levels. Um, again, I haven't gone as much into that with like fertility and how that can affect overall function, but there's a lot of evidence in women that insufficient sleep can actually impact our fertility, it can affect our menstrual cycle, um, and lead to a lot of other long-term kind of downstream effects. So I know cortisol, right? Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but cortisol is also like um, kind of correlated with stress levels, is it? So on that topic, uh could you like break down the importance of sleep and how it affects one's mood and overall mental health yeah so similar to exercise mood actually has the very bi-directional relationship with sleep um so bad mood can impact sleep and then poor sleep can impact uh mood so really it's estimated about 90 percent of people that suffer from depression Um, actually report poor sleep quality and hence poor sleep quality or disturbed sleep can cause issues like daytime sleepiness, um, irritability, difficulty concentrating, unhappiness, and even anxiety. Um, Another important thing with like sleep loss is that it can affect a person's negative affect. So really what it does, it can increase our feelings of like our bad feelings about ourselves and suppress our positive affect. So we will feel less likely to be joyful and excited and more likely to be upset, angry, et cetera. 
Um, it also can um, um, affect our stress reactivity. So this is kind of like how you respond to different situations. So think about it, you wake up and your roommate left dishes in the sink. On a normal day, you might not get upset about that. But after some sleep deprivation, you're highly reactive or your um, stress reactivity levels are much heightened. So you might like flip out and get in a super argument with them because of that. Um, so really sleep plays a big role in that aspect. It also has a really tight relationship with insomnia. So insomnia and uh, depression and anxiety. So we see a lot of students who are struggling with like mental health um, to report sleep issues and treating them for sleep can help improve their overall mood. So again, we kind of want to worry about both that sleep effects and the mood effects. The good thing about exercise is that exercise can improve mood, um, feelings of well-being, and help decrease mild to moderate depression. So exercise can also play a role in that factor too with improving mood. I mean, for our co uh, collegiate listeners, I know like the popular thing to do is get like a can of monster you know down the 300 milligrams of caffeine and pull I'm, an all-nighter i yeah i do that sometimes That's can not... you, sorry can you break down basically how it also like affects our long-term memory and also our short-term memory in terms of like test taking like you said like our stress uh levels are heightened right so everything's kind of reactionary so does that also affect us able to process like information through the long period of time compared to just a short term Definitely. So sleep is important for our transition of knowledge into long-term memory storage. So if you're not getting a good amount of sleep, it can obviously disrupt that process. So hence, if you stay up all night to cram for a test, not only is the information you're trying to study not as easily getting processed into that long-term memory, but you can actually suffer from the effects of sleep deprivation during your test, like impaired cognitive function, lower um, cognitive actual processing, lack of critical thinking, um, all of these are really important for taking a test. So it's good for students to be aware of that. So maybe they can plan better for, um, I hate to say time management, nobody wants to hear time <laughs> management, but again, avoiding cramming at the last minute and really focusing on, hey, I wanna get a good quality sleep before that exam so that I can really process the information that I've learned. Um, again, like you mentioned that activation of that stress system. So that's our sympathetic nervous system. We call it our kind of also our HBA axis, um, but that's what releases cortisol that can elevate blood pressure, heart rate. Um, it prepares our body for that like fight or flight response. So if you're gonna get attacked by a bear, you're really ready to either run away or fight the bear but that's not exactly the response you want to be happening during an exam. So again, after a night of sleep deprivation, now you're overactivated from that and that can lead to some negative performance issues. I did not, I wish I slept more. <laughs> um, so Dr. Tracy, could you just give us a couple of tips to collegiate listeners, like basically, break it down and be like any advice that you can personally give them to better your sleep right to better the quality of sleep as well too because it's not just about like you said just going to sleep because like you said there's sleep latency like the time you actually fall into sleep and the importance of actually achieving REM sleep especially for our young listeners 
Yeah, so I'll kind of start out by saying I definitely was not perfect in my college years, even in my like first grad school years, because I have a my doctorate's in physical therapy. Um, I'm now working on my doctorate in kinesiology or my PhD in kinesiology. But looking back, I really wish I had focused more on this then because you want, I mean, all that time you spend studying, you want to be able to remember that information down the road. So again, time management and kind of focusing on the important things throughout the day, you know, getting maybe a little bit of studying done each day, but focusing on getting to sleep the same time of night. That's a really important thing. Your body, again, all those hormones like to regulate themselves. So if you are pretty consistent with your time you go to bed and the time you wake up, it can really facilitate that hormonal release patterning. Um, Also, it's really important to avoid caffeine before bed. Typically, like four to six hours before bed. So not just like, hey, I'm not going to have caffeine with dinner. It's, you know, say you go to bed at, like me, nine o'clock at night, which is probably much earlier than your listeners. But I try not to have anything after 12 because I know that the half-life caffeine is pretty long, so it can still affect my overall sleep. Um, And realizing, too, how much caffeine is in different beverages. Um, It's recommended that we have less than 300 milligrams per day of caffeine. And just like an eight-ounce coffee is 180 milligrams. So I think for people to start looking at labels, possibly, of the different drinks. And caffeine's just not in coffee. You know, we have soda. A lot of people drink soda at night with their dinner. Um, All those wonderful Starbucks drinks that I see people walking around campus at, like, (laughs) 8, 9 p.m. You know, they have a lot of not only sugar, but a lot of caffeine also in them. So it's a stimulant. So that can affect our ability to fall asleep. So, again, that sleep latency. Um, another thing is trying to avoid eating a heavy, heavy, um, meal late at night. So not saying you can't have an adequate dinner, but if you're somebody that goes to bed at like one, two, three in the morning, you know, making sure you're not having anything too heavy at that time. Um, you know, during the night you want certain processes to be kind of relaxed. So the last thing you want is your like digestive system to be like charged up, trying to process all the fatty foods you just ate. Um, so that can help. Another thing is um, trying to avoid screens. And I know this is really difficult for people really of all ages. I have this problem with my mom now, even like now that she's on social media, like, what are you doing at this time of night on your phone? Um, but it's important maybe the half hour, even an hour before you go to bed to kind of turn those things off and like focus on you. You can focus on some relaxation techniques. There's a lot of great apps out there for like meditation or like pre-sleep meditation to kind of wind down and prepare your body for that. But really you don't want anything stimulating you. So same thing, exercise, trying to avoid late night exercise um, or exercise really just too close to when you want to be going to bed. So those those are some basic starter tips (laughs) for improving sleep. Dr. Tracy, so do you recommend um, naps also throughout the day? Does that help improve uh, functionality or is naps better avoided so that when you're tired and it's finally time to rest, just knock out? Yeah, so it's funny because a lot of people try to catch up to sleep with naps 
And if you're looking at like a night of sleep deprivation, then okay, a catch-up nap or a catch-up sleep can help kind of restore us. But really in the long term, you want to avoid daily naps. Um, that can essentially affect your ability to get to sleep later at night and your quality of sleep throughout that night. Um, really the only population I've seen it to be an improvement in is like women that are pregnant because their sleep so disrupted. So they say, hey, get sleep whenever you can. Um, and even in some athlete populations, because athletes that are on like travel schedules and just their sleep's interrupted no matter what. So getting a little bit of nap time in just to increase their total sleep time. But on average for the general population, it's really recommended to avoid napping. I better stop napping. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you also advise against uh, food comas? Because I know, like, we all like to have that big meal, like, during Thanksgiving or, like, whenever family get-togethers happen and then you get so full, you're just like, you know, you knock out. <laughs> so is there is there anything that you recommend against that or is it bad for us or? I mean, so on, like, a holiday, I mean, it's, I think indulging a bit is fine but if this is something that you're doing frequently it's almost like a binge eating type style where you're over consuming calories um and really if you think about it our body can't process a ton of calories all at once there's only so much it can really handle especially if you're also consuming highly processed foods so the more processed the food is the more work is done before it actually enters your body so your body can actually like just put it away pretty quickly as opposed to like the actual caloric work of breaking down something like an apple or a steak. Um, so I think in general, trying to avoid a big bulk of food all at once, just to give your body the efficient ability to break down the food, digest it properly and absorb all those nutrients. Otherwise there's a greater likelihood that a lot more of it's gonna get stored as fat. That's Oh my, there, it, this entire conversation just like blew my mind. I took like, uh, you know, uh, the sleep health performance class with um, uh, Professor Andrea Spath. But, you know, like it's just another reminder that we really need to like get our stuff together and like really focus on what's really like important for us, sleep. Um, but so wrapping this up, what are some ways um, a person can improve their overall sleep and um, just any other tips that you have? for our listeners is there like certain types of foods for example that you recommend that can even better our health and do you also like recommend melatonin for us to fall asleep because i know that's a big thing yes interesting so melatonin and i haven't done a ton of research into melatonin itself but melatonin as a hormone that our body releases it'll release during the night to facilitate sleep um again with improper sleep or lack of sleep that melatonin cycling gets you know affected so people do take um endogenous or exogenous melatonin which can help um the degree at which it really can help i think fluctuates kind of person to person the scenario they're using it for um but i think that's when it's good to kind of consult with a sleep specialist or a physician about something like that um also i I don't want to say I uh, caution people against certain supplements, but it's important to be aware of what's actually in the supplement and if it actually has what it's saying it has in it, because most of them are not FDA re regulated. So again, 
do a little bit of your research before you kind of jump into, all right, I'm going to have like this bottle of melatonin and I'll help you <laughs> sleep up. I was, they're not, Sorry, go on. they're not FDA regulated. I'm so surprised. I, a lot of supplementation these days, they're not regulated at all. Like all these fitness companies that are releasing this. And I, I don't think we realize how dangerous some of this can be. I know there was a study done with melatonin pills. Like when yeah. I learned in my class and a lot of them had, I, I think like different like dosages, like within the same bottle, like they test or some like every single pill in the same bottle you think that they they're the same like dosage and everything the levels of whatever they're studying is like the same but there were like some of them were different and i was like we don't even know what we're putting into our body (laughs) there's a company called informed choice i don't know if they specifically look at melatonin but for sports performance enhancers like you know protein if you're into doing like pre-workout or like hydration stuff they will analyze um the actual composition of these different products and if they're like uh promoted by informed choice it means that they've been found to have the actual components that they say on the bottle in them mm-hmm. so that's one thing i go by is that if i'm gonna buy like my protein i want to make sure it's at least been checked by um, informed choice there's a couple other third-party ones out there, but that's just the one that I use. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tracy, for joining our podcast. And I know you've been incredibly busy, and you squeezed us into yeah. your time slot. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. So, thank, thank you, you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, no, of course. <laughs> um, thank you to our listeners for staying tuned, and this is our special.